We're now recording. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Means I need more wine. Glug, glug, glug. <laughs> it's the Get Off My Lawn podcast for the week of November 15th, 2015. On tonight's program, we'll hear filmmaker Michael Coulomb say... I mean, I'm 40 years old and I have nightlights. Just so you know. You can open your podcast with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your announcer, Craig, alongside your genial host, Kevin. And now we take you live on tape to Atwater Village. And that's it. That's our introduction. Well, that was fun. That's the first time we've live posted an introduction. I don't know quite how... Uh... Way to go, Craig. We'll see how it goes. One take. One take, Craig. One take, Craig. But of course, I he did to. say, you know, he, he tagged our, our, our guest, and now the guest has to be witty. So, you know, come up with, like I yeah, said, one like witty no thing No pressure to say. or nothing. No pressure okay. at all. So we're here with Michael Colomb. How's it going, Michael? Dude, I'm doing really good. How are you guys doing? I'm living a dream. We're here in your, can we say we're in your backyard? We are in my backyard, we, yes. You, we have a bar scene happening here. I wish you guys could see this. This is what... It's I, cool. This, this, this is what TGI Fridays wants to be. Yeah. It's Everybody's, got the license plates true. and the tchotchke <laughs> and the different things happening. I know. Everybody, we should have come look, here at night. We have a disco ball. You got a disco ball. I know. It's well, well we do the we'll do, do a follow-up. We'll, we'll do it at night. Yeah. Ooh, well, the bonfire, go. the barbecue. We get, we get like lasers and yeah. smoke machine. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Visual humor on a podcast. You can't beat it. I know. It's also worth mentioning that two out of the three of us are holding alcohol. That's this, true. This, we've broken the alcohol cherry here on the podcast. That's my fault. Sorry. And you know what? We got no problem with it. But but Craig is the designated driver slash engineer. Yes, so we're going to get home safely. That's yes. right. So just remember, kids, don't drink and engineer. That's right. No, that's Alco- true. And alcohol, you can drink and act all you want, <laughs> but do not drink and engineer. I feel like and drunk and acting is like a, like it's a oxymoron. Yeah, like drinking and writing, <laughs> you can't have one without the other. Hello, Hemingway. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, he ended badly. Maybe he's the wrong example for that. Oh, good point. <laughs> so Michael is a man of many talents. He's got his hand in many cookie jars, as as it were. Uh, as we stated at the top, filmmaker. That follows along with everything from you said script supervisor, writer, director. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I find in, in, in um, Los Angeles, everybody has a slash. I'm a slash to slash. You that. are a hyphenate, yes. Yeah, and, and not that I'm not hyphenated, but like I just like to be... A filmmaker. And then people are like, oh, that's so great. You're a filmmaker. What do you do? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm a script supervisor. I've been doing that for nine years. And then it sort of opened the door to me becoming a more writer and director. So um, I feel like filmmaker is like, that's what I am. That's how people know me. I think of all of your script supervisor credits, assuming IMDb is in any way accurate, which it rarely is. It is. I actually keep it updated. Is that one good? Because you had, I think the one that I most am familiar with of your works is Comedy Bang Bang, doing the script supervision on that one. Yeah, I did that for, uh, I did a couple of the shows the first season and a couple of the second season that's actually a fun show to work on we should clarify since you know we're not necessarily an industry show but we've talked to a lot of people in the industry what does a script supervisor do what is the job function it tracks a continuity so i usually work on feature films so the idea is that movies are made out of order and then the editor puts them back in order and i'm sort of that step in the middle that helps keep the continuity and track of everything on set and then i give everything to the editor that he uses to put it back in order so, like, you can find all these takes with the actors, you know, on these camera rolls and this sound roll. And it's sort of like I create, like, a blueprint of, like, how everything should be put back together in a sense. I don't tell him, like, use this close-up. He does that. But basically, mm-hmm. I'm like, here's all the shots. Here's all the angles. You can use it here. That's what's so great about scripturizing is that it really sort of um, is a stepping stone to writing and directing because I'm, I'm involved in the process from pre-production all the way to post-production. And I sit next to the director. Which is great, and I I report to all the actors and all the producers and all every department. I, I this is an odd example, but I kind of pictured as like a, a wheel, like I'm sort of in the center, and I report to everybody like a spokes on a tire. Mm-hmm. You're the go-to, in a sense, yeah. I mean, it's sort of supportive, but um, and it's extremely technical, but it's great because like when I when I wrote my my first feature that I wrote that were had gotten funded, my producer looked at it and he goes, "You wrote this like a script supervisor." I was like, is that good? He's like, well, it's going to be easy to make because I literally <laughs> put everything that I needed. Like the actor walks in with this prop, like, and I wrote it in a way and I, I didn't even realize I did that. It was just like, I've been scripturizing for nine years, so why not just write it this way? You know? And did you, how do you lead up into the role of script supervisor? Is it one of those things? Like my end of things was much more the TV end than the filmmaking end when I, we, when we I foolishly in, versed. Do you, do you start as a runner and then work your way up or is it a... You know, actually it's, I always tell people that film found me. I was, I moved out to LA, not that I moved far, I moved from Riverside, you know, 45 minutes away. The IE. The IE. You know, after, after studying music with Craig for so long. And a lot of people don't know this, but Craig and I used to be in a singing group. That's true. 
You care to sh- care to care to four. give us a little sample of something? I don't remember what we did. <laughs> I we had like no. We I just, will not sing. I will not join. That'll be no. Like I mean, my, we did it for like one to everyone. One year, I think we were in it for like just we did a little group. Oh, I almost spilled my wine. Uh-oh. Yeah, don't do that. Party foul. That means this this wise cast is about to get. So good. did you do the RCC <laughs> choral thing, or is it? Yeah, that one was RCC. Yeah, and so we did that. That's how we know each other. Yep. <clears throat> and then I came out here because I wanted to be a writer, and we're sort of navigating the seas. And one day this guy goes. You're a really good writer. You should help me write my script. And I was like, I, I this time, like when I first came to LA, I did spoken word and a lot of like stuff with, in that, uh, you know. But I didn't really do much. I didn't understand about movies. I didn't know I, it could make movies. I wanted to write them. I didn't realize I could actually be on set making them. And so he introduced me to this course about scripture writing. And he's like, if anything, this will help you break down scripts. And, and I was like, all right, that sounds fun. And I was working at a full time job. I wasn't happy with anyways. Oh, the black helicopters. Oh, are coming. they're coming to find me. CIA. <laughs> Special ops. They're moving in on po- cracking down on podcasts. This is a very familiar thing holding for for sound on set. <laughs> oh, we're gonna for use sure. this. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we 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 like to get sponsors uh, <laughs> from the United States government. Yeah, today's yeah. sponsor is the NSA. Yeah. Their motto: We're listening. <laughs> Their helicopters are silent. I know. You're right. So also, you took a course. <clears throat> yeah, it was just sort of like an introductory of like. Here's how you do scripture rising. And it taught me everything you need to know. I studied for about six months. Then I went back to my full-time job, and I was like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> like, I just I learned how to do that. And I never wanted to do scripture rising. I just wanted to un- learn how to do it because I wanted to write. But then I went back to a job I still hated. So I was like, I have to figure this out. And one day I just was like, I just turned 30, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I just have to figure something out. And so I'm getting in trouble with the microphone. <laughs> Craig is very close to touching Mikey right now. I know. Better. Don't tell his wife. We just want to hear you clearly. Oh, should I really get into it? Okay, no, you're good. I'm using my I'm using my radio voice to drive all the ladies crazy. One day, it just was like I was like done. I hit a point where I was like, I'm turning thirty, and my life is going nowhere, and I'm not writing, and I'm not doing anything. If I don't do if I don't do it today, I'm never gonna do it. Nine more years are gonna go by, and I'm gonna sit there and be forty and be like. Bleh. So I said, I, I can't relate to that at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really interesting. Let me take another drink. Yeah. I, I, I wake up with. Those very same thoughts every day. Oh. Well, I I remember going into human resources and I was like, I'm quitting. And she's like, really? I was like, yeah, I've been talking about it, but today's the day I'm doing it. And she's like, what are you going to do? I says, probably live in my car. <laughs> she's like, really? Goals are like, important. Yeah. I was like, well, I, I know that that's probably part of following my dream is that, and I, let, I have to be honest, I have done that. I'm not lying. I've slept on couches. I've done it all. So, I mean, when it comes to... I've really sacrificed a lot for my. Oh, that's. I feel like that's my theme song. The ice cream truck can be our sponsor <laughs> yeah. too. Let's go. Yes, but um, and this was over the time that I we weren't talking as much then because you you know but, life life was happening ev- yeah. everywhere. You had gotten married and we moved on, but I was sleeping on a friend's couch and sleeping in my car and bouncing around from stuff to stuff. But I was doing what I wanted to do. And I remember the first day I, I decided to become a script supervisor. I called my friend and I was like, I quit my job. He's like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> I just quit it on a whim because I knew if I didn't, I would never do it. And he goes, I'm working on a project. Why don't you just come work with me? And so I kind of went, I, randomly enough, my very first film was in Reno Valley. And I packed my bag and sat out there for like a week at this person's house filming this movie. And I couldn't think of anything better. I've never been happier in Reno Valley. <laughs> yeah, happy in Reno Valley is almost an oxymoron. But I was just Without so, pharmaceuticals. Yes. Yeah. But I was just so excited to like just... And it was weird. I felt 20 again, you know, even though I had just turned 30 and I was like living my life. I tell people getting into film saved me 10 years of my life because I feel 10 years like I even to this day. And then after that, I just started, I just was I kind of supervised that project a little bit. And then I just did student films and jumped on projects here and there sort of just like gather knowledge of what I was doing. And I lived off my savings. And then I just never I didn't say no to anything. I just was like jumped on anything I could possibly do. That's the Short important film. step in this business. Is yeah. You just got to keep. Yeah, I was like, let me show you what I can do. Let me show you how much fun I am at it. And and I just was loving the process because I wasn't in an office. I was, I would film, I'd be on a stage and then I'd be like on the beach and then we'd film up in the mountains and then we'd be like in a house. It was just like, I was everywhere you could possibly think of. And I didn't even know I could do that, right? I Here's, I wanted to make movies, writing them. I didn't realize I could actually be on set making them. And then what happened was, is I was working next to so many directors that were teaching me things I didn't even know. You know, and and. I have nothing against film school, but I have so many people that go to film school to learn this stuff. And here I am making movies and I'm making money. And I'm I, I have things against film school, but then I used to work for one. So yeah. A, so I was getting all this I'm, empirical. I'm no, 
Well, I was getting all this empirical knowledge of like what to do, what not to do. And by the same time, I was having like the best time. And I was um not at a desk. Yeah, not at a desk. You know, and I was I I mean I did a Discovery Channel show up in like the Sequoia National Forest and I'd have to sit like I was sitting on a little chair underneath this like these ferns and it'd be all these like banana slugs making out because we were up there during mating season. <laughs> sure. Who wouldn't want to look at that, right? Ooh, you know, and banana just so slug you know, sex is fetish porn. Yeah, but and it's they, out there. You look and they look like it. a heart when they do it. They're like yeah. end to end. It's really funny. Don't you don't you? <laughs> We've already gone blue. See, did you get a clock on that one? So I just was, I, it was so much fun and I still wanted to write. So what was great was I was still writing. And then what I was also learning was, is I was learning how to write scripts because I was already in the process, which is why I write like a script advisor, because I know, I know how to shoot it now. I, I write it like I would shoot it. I write it. So it's easier to make sense. Like the, it's, so it was, a, it was a fascinating experience, but it found me. And I just, one day it was just like doing it. Most of the stuff that I saw you seem to have an interest in sort of the suspense slash horror genre. Is that where your focus at least has been in recent years? Well, I will tell you that about six years ago, I, my friend and I launched a film festival up in Big Bear, a horror film festival. Oh. And we did that at the time. I mean, when I got into film, about two years later, we had the writer strike. So all the films stopped. And I remember then, it well. Huh? I remember it well. Yeah. My and face we, is still itchy from the strike beard. So I know. And then we hit the recession. Like, talk about fucked. I mean, it was just like one right after another. And it was just like, my I'm mom's kidding. like, yeah, my mom's like, see, film doesn't work. <laughs> Mom, the entire country's in a recession. It doesn't matter if I have an office job. Yeah. And then I had, I kind of went back in the workforce a little bit. I was doing, I was doing a lot of data entry stuff through, and I was also doing randomly extra work. Like I was just, so my friend and I decided like, well, there wasn't anything happening and we were trying to just keep in the creative field. So we launched the film festival as sort of our way of like, well, fine, if film won't find us, we'll bring film to us. And it worked. I mean, it was great. And that was how I met Victor Miller, who wrote the original Friday the 13th, which was great because yesterday was Friday the 13th. It was. And, and it all comes together. I know. And so and it's great because I actually did not like the franchise as a kid growing up. I'm a huge Nightmare on Elm Street fan. And I didn't like, and my cousin would make me watch Friday the 13th all the time. I was like, I don't like this. It's scary. <laughs> so like, here we are years later and, and Victor Miller, we did a, a 30 year anniversary of Friday the 13th and brought him up there and He's probably one of the best people you ever meet. Truthfully, he's the cool. kindest guy. He's c- cynical and extremely intelligent and sharp as a whip and hysterically funny. And um, just uh, all he wants to do is sit and have a cigar and talk like he's great. And he has the best stories. And so we were just talking. And then one day someone had a, um, a Facebook post, somebody from the film festival, and he commented on it. And then I commented on it. And then he commented on my comment and vice versa. And he's like, wait a minute. We're really good at this. Let's just, we should talk about doing something together. I was like, all right, that sounds good. So we sidebarred it on via email and turned out that we wanted to write something together. And when the guy who writes the original Friday 13th wants to write something with you, you say yes. Yeah. Okay. You don't be like, uh, no, you say yes. And you don't suggest a screwball comedy about a nutty no. couple. No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I mean, three Emmys for daytime television, whatever you want. So we ended up starting to writing and then we got halfway through our script and he's like, oh, this is really cute. People get lost in the forest and they die. I wrote this. It's Friday the 13th. <laughs> I was, All right, let's start over. Whatever you want. So that's, but yeah, so I kind of started getting a love for horror because of the film festival. And then because I was meeting so many horror people, it was just like, I, I tell people like, you know, how people are new money. I'm new horror. Like I just, and I'm obsessed with it. My roommate watch it. I'm surrounded by it all the time. Everybody I know is in horror. It's just like, like when I, when I, when I go on a date, I'm like, you like, Horror, right? They're like, oh yeah. I'm like, okay, good. We're good. It's bizarre. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, but it's so fascinating how like it's it's the only film. I mean, I guess besides stuff like Star Wars and stuff, it's really the only sort of genre that has its own culture with it. Sure. I feel like when Friday the Thirteenth had its thirty year reunion and other movies, it's like people come out in droves to see it. You can see some obscure. I'm not even joking. You can see obscure horror film. At like midnight at the Beverly Theater over here, and people show up in droves and like because they like, horror is just such an amazing culture. And when I would go not only to my film festival but other like events around, you see all the same people. Just it's like a community. It's amazing. That's one thing. I like. So I will always, always, I'm always a fan of horror, just because of that. So. So what scares you in real life? Actually, I, this is really funny, but I'm afraid of the dark. And it was really a big joke when we were running the film festival that the guy that created the film festival was afraid of dark. But I'm not just afraid of the dark. I'm definitely afraid. I mean, I'm 40 years old and I have nightlights. Just so you know. You can open your podcast with that. <laughs> I believe we found That's that one. It right there. <laughs> Done. Okay, thanks for sharing yeah, that. that was easy. <laughs> but it's true. I, and it's funny, because, but 
my justification for that is the house I grew up in in Orange County was haunted. And I remember specifically remembering things that as a kid I felt I made up. And then years and years later, my sister called me at like 10 o'clock at night. She had like three-way called me with our old neighbor. And we were just talking about all these weird things that happened. And I was like, oh my God, I thought I made half that shit up. And she was like, no. And then she, and so it was just like fascinating. And then finally, like, I remember bringing it up because we used to hear, like, we used to hear voices, which was really odd. Um, which is probably why I'm afraid of the dark. Because I'm always afraid of like just hearing something random like that. And then like years, and we'd always tell my parents, and my parents were like, no, no, we don't know what you're talking about. And then 10 years ago, my father and I went back to New York to visit my family. We're out in the backyard like this, the bonfire. And we were all just drinking and having beer. And my dad looks at me and goes, I think the house you grew up in was haunted. I was like, oh my God, you waited 20 years to tell me. Like, Thanks like, a lot, dad. Yeah. All those fucking nightmares. <laughs> they were was like, it just dad banging on the walls? No, it was like, real. yeah. <laughs> so it was sort of like, but it was the only time he's ever, ever, like that was it. It was the only time I've ever talked about it, but it was great to have that sort of justification. Uh, it was the garage, and I think it was my room, and like the sort of like back part of the house, my parents' rooms. Yeah, mm. but you know, hey, it helped me today. So good inspiration is live in a haunted house. There you I go. I wonder in Orange County if being haunted increases the real estate value or decreases it. It's Orange County. It's probably going to increase it. Yeah, it's, you're probably right. Especially if it's one of those like Laguna Beach girls that died in a. <laughs> Strange incident in the room. Yeah, what if it's a Kardashian? Well, that would be out here, actually. I think they're all... Yeah, good point. <laughs> Pretty sure that would increase it yeah. for you, now. And if you had your house haunted by a Kardashian, could yeah. you imagine? Just to be able well, to have that plaque. I think Kardashian we all are having yeah. our house <laughs> haunted by the Kardashian. It's called the E! Channel. Through, I know. The, through the television and the computer. I think we just made a movie here, Haunted by Kardashians. <laughs> That's okay. Patent pending, copyright. <laughs> yeah, all... there you go. <laughs> exactly. Nobody else steal this idea. <laughs> So. Now, you're not limited to haunted or to haunted movies, to horror movies. You've moved on to a lot of other things. You've got well, a new one that you're working on. Yeah, so here's the thing. I didn't want, because I long before I was ever working in horror, I was trying to work on other things. It just, in horror being a recent thing, I was like, okay, I've got to do other things. And so I had written, I did a play about three years ago, and it was a Latino drama. And so many people had come to it, and I was like, this is such a great play. It would make such a great movie. And I was like, I yeah, I know, but I don't know. Like, I... The way I wrote it was sort of like I broke the fourth wall and the, the title character talked to the audience. Well, it doesn't work in the movies. So I was like, I kind of have to figure out this woman outside of the theater, outside of like where she talks to the audience and outside of this particular moment in the play. So I kind of had to like, so I spent three years sort of just living in her head and sort of figuring out like, where is she at now? Where she go forward and what happens between all these things? In January of this year, I had no work like in as a filmmaker. And I was just like, well, I'm bored. <laughs> so I was like, what am I going to do? And then one day I was like, well, I guess I could write that script I keep talking about. But I, I was tired of talking. I wanted to do it. So I just sat down and I said, I had some sort of concepts and ideas that I was thinking about doing. And I said, this is it I'm doing. And for about two weeks, I just wrote every day. I don't have an, I have no excuse. So here I was being an, an L.A. writer, just sitting at my home writing, wake up every morning, get coffee. <laughs> it was great. I loved it, actually. And about two weeks later, I had a, a, a script based on a play that I'd written. And I knew it was sort of like an adapted play, but I knew that I finally had a script and I was like, this is it. I want to do this movie. And then I started sending it out to people that I knew. And I was like, tell me what's wrong with it. Tell me what needs to fix it. And then who could I get attached to it? And so we started talking to people. We started getting people attached to it. And then I had a reading of it a couple of months ago and I went in like in one day slash like half of it, which is fine. Cause it was based on, and I knew it needed to be done. And I, it finally found it sort of footing and grounding. And so, yeah, I wrote this Latino drama called You Can Call Me Eve. It's a story about a, an older Latino woman who's just lost her husband. and She's just trying to figure out where to go with her life. That's sort of like my elevator pitch. But it actually follows the two versions of her, the younger version of her, because she changes her name. So she starts off being a Rosa and she changes it to Eve. And so her being Rosa is like her story of like breaking away of like her social expectations of being a Latino woman. You know, she is attached to her name, you know, because in the Latino culture, they women add their their main names and their husband's name, and so it, which is a sort of identity thing, which mm -hmm. is great. <clears throat> so she had to get past identity of who she was as a Latino woman, the cultural norms of who she was expected, the religious norms of being a Catholic, all these things. So and uh, being a woman, it was great to like, here I am, like, you know, 40-year-old white guy, <laughs> and I'm trying to write a woman, a, a story about a 60-year-old Latino woman. So it's I spent a lot of time researching, which was great. But I actually based them... Um, the woman's a little bit on my mother. 
because my mother's a very strong woman, and I wanted this woman to be strong. And what was kind of nice was when we would do, as we're doing the play, we'd have certain like readings of the play, and every time we cast the role of Eve, her and my mother always got along really well, which is I found ironic because the woman was based on my mother, and so. I thought it was great. That sort of told me that I was going on the right road with at least the character and stuff. So she'd be happy if I get Meryl Streep to play. Yeah, that'd be all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you consult your mom on casting <laughs> yeah. decisions? My mom wants a... to meet Meryl Streep, but I don't, I mean, Meryl Streep is amazing. I don't know if she could play an older Latina woman, but she is Meryl Streep. That'd be tough. Yeah. So who would be your dream person for the role? I'm not sure if I have a dream person per se. Or are I... you going to do like a younger actress and then an older actress? Yeah, we're going to do a younger actress and an older okay. actress. Um, and we have a casting director now who's doing that. I don't know. I, you would think that there's a lot of older Latina actresses out here, but there's not. And it's, it's, that's why I feel so great about the story because it's hitting a market and it's a story that needs to be told, but there isn't, I mean, there are a lot of older Latina actresses, but they're just not working as much. And it's, yeah, the only name so, that flashed in my head was Rita Moreno. And I don't know. She's a little older, too yeah. old. Yeah. But that's true. Yeah. People like that. And thank God she's still on Broadway doing stuff. I but adore her. I often, you know, yeah. you, and what I liked about the role was, um, you have people like Sofia Vergara, who is in such a great show right now, but she's sort of, in a sense, playing a sort of like over the top character caricature of the the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't falter for that. I'm glad that she's working. But there's so much more about the culture that we don't explore. We found that when we started doing um, black characters, they're more than just you know people that answer the door and serve. They actually had real lives. Yeah. And we find that with the gay culture that they're not just hairstylists and costume designers, you know, they have real lives. And so I, I found that this was something exciting because I could finally find something about the Latino culture that people don't know and understand. So it was just a woman who was just trying to live her life. It's very universal. People get that. We all try to live our lives. And it's like, these are, this is the shit that happens to her. So that's, what's great about that particular story. Yeah. And it's not horror. I don't know. Did there was an article this week? It's kind of semi-related to what you're just talking about. But did you? Uh, are you a fan of Aziz Ansari at all? Yeah, I worked with him on Comedy Bing Bing. He's did, great. Yeah, and he just wrote an article about his first experience to an Indian character in film was Fisher Stevens in Short Circuit. Oh right! Oh goodness! Oh yeah. my gosh! Right. He wrote this huge article. It was brilliantly written where he yeah. actually called up Fisher Stevens and talked to him. This has been like 30 years since that movie had yeah. come out. And, he had, you know, and Fisher Stevens was, because he's, you know, Aziz was talking about how at first he was kind of insulted when he realized this was a white guy cast in this role yeah. and whatever else. And Fisher Stevens was apologetic, I guess, when he talked to him on the phone. But as he said, he went to India and lived there for a month. And he studied as much as he could about the culture and tried mm. to immerse himself. And as he had said, yeah. you know, he felt, too, the role should have been played by an Indian actor. He said, but at the end of the day, I needed a check. Yeah, exactly. And they were paying me a check. So, hello, Johnny Five. You know, that was the Who role. doesn't want to work. Ended, exactly. Yeah, that was the ended up, you know, what he ended up getting. But it was just an interesting take on that sort of, you know, as you were talking about, you know, being a yeah. white guy writing for a Latino woman. It made me think of just that article because it just broke this week. Well, I found, I found it's my responsibility as a writer to not only explore the character. I mean... As a writer, and I find that sometimes the best stories can come from the most, you won't even think about it. Like, like, wow, you wrote that specific story. But I did a lot of research. I literally, I mean, I researched everything I could possibly find. I went to every Latino person I knew and I said, look at the story and tell me what is not real. And I would sit down with every single person and I said, okay, so if this were to happen, how would you react? And they would tell me. And I'm like, oh, I like that. Okay, we can sort. So it's not like I wrote what I felt would be a story. Like, I really... Every time we workshopped it and marketed it, it was always hitting up. I would invite every Latino person I knew, actor, just random person on the street, people that I knew, and said, tell me how this makes it real. And so one of the things that I'm expecting for my actors is every scene that we would we would work on, I'd be like, if you feel that this particular phrase needs to be in Spanish, it should be because it needs to be in, in the, the the language that you guys speak. You know, like there's a scene where um, Rosa, the younger version of her and her husband are arguing should it be in Spanish? Why not? We can, you know, it really needs to be real. Yeah. And I need to leave that up to the people who are playing those roles to do. I don't want to make that version of what I think it should be. It needs to be real. And I feel like that's my responsibility as a writer. And I think a lot of writers need to realize that. I think that's important. You know, it's like, yes. And and, and when I'm also directing, I, I was, I'm one of the few directors that I like to be really true to the text because I was hired to make this particular movie or if it's something I wrote. And I think the text is important. But there's also one of the things I learned when we we're doing the play was the actress would come sit down and talk to me and go, I have to say this line and then I have to say this line. But it feels weird that I have to go from this emotion to this emotion when really I think they should be switched. And I'm like, oh, all right, that's fascinating. I like that. Like, and I so feel you're like open to ideas. Yeah, and I feel like one of the best things I could realize is like, as a writer, when we sit down to write, we write all the characters. 
but the actor only has to live in this one character's head. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And how great is it that you're bringing all of this to it? So yeah, change the line. If it, if if I can get a better reaction from you for just switching the lines, let's do it. I feel like. Well, and, to me, it also is a kind of a compliment too that the actor cares enough that yeah. they want to immerse themselves in that character. Yeah. They want to be able to say with authority, "I think my character would do it this way" or whatever. Yeah. I think that's a compliment to the writer that you've created that character. Yeah. And allowing the actor the freedom to do that means you're going to get a kick-ass performance because it's more authentic and real and more organic. And I see that a lot as like with actors on set nowadays too, as a scriptwriter, just like. How am I supposed to get from here to here? How can I do that? And I feel like I really need to stand here because that's how I'm going to get a better. And it's so fast. I just get so involved in that. I love that process of like seeing actors get to that moment. Now you as the director, how much of what they would call an actor's director are you? How much are are you really about them and the the role they're going to take on? Well, I've been told that I'm a very good director's actor. Actor's director. Oh, the wine's kicking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm almost out of this bottle. But like, because, but I'm, but... On the flip side is I'm all about the crew as well. But I, I I sort of attach that to the fact that I've been lucky enough to work on a lot of movies as a script advisor, so I've learned the importance of how crew is. You know, like you hire specific people like you hire your costume designer to really create a look of the film. And I need to trust them to look at it and go, this is what was written, we need to make it look real. And I work with a lot of first-time directors and I work with a lot of directors who, who are extremely controlling and they want a specific vision. But I think part of directing is trying to help people understand what your vision is. And that means create a lookbook, like find specific, like I love Pinterest in that sense where I can be like, I can look up um, homeless man and then get like all, I'm like, I'm like these four, if I could find something here, <laughs> this is fascinating. This is what I want using visuals. And I don't think a lot of um, directors do that. It's it's interesting when you go to write a script that you have to have a sort of like, you have those, comp, you know, you have like cards and stuff of like what you want. You have to do that with the director as well. Like I really want, this character like this, and this is what I want this section to be like, and da, da, da. And I don't think enough people prep their specific, and it's, it, you know, so it's not just, it's it's about trusting me to make, the, I have the final decision, but I really want, I have to help you understand that this is where I want to get to. I think that's important. That's your wine. Wine's good? Yeah. Excellent. It, it's nice to hear about the different tools that you're using to accomplish those goals. Actually, I'm a huge collaborator. I know that sounds odd, but... I get a big kick out of seeing what other people can bring. I found that out when I was doing my, like, I started off as doing short films, and I wanted to do my first film, which was Axe, because it was a horror film, and I knew, at least if it was kind of bad, that horror is still very loyal, and that they would like it regardless. And then it ended up being really good, and then I set my own bar really kind of high, and had to keep, which is good, I like that. But I found that, like, even in post-production, my editor would have so many ideas, and look at things differently. And he'd be like, what if we did this? And I'd be like, holy shit, I can do that? Like, you know, it's so great. And I feel like being a collaborator is great because really it's in the day. You're, you're hiring people to do the best that they can do. And so let them do the best that they can do. Like, let them bring these ideas because you don't know what, how much more they can enhance it, you know? And I love that. I think enough people, I don't think enough people do that, really. I know editing is important in every film, but I think it's, it's hyper important, it's important in, in, in horror, you know. Oh yeah, to well, get those I, those quick cuts, those yeah, those really frightening moments that happen in so milliseconds. Yeah, those just, jump scares. Yeah. yeah, you know what a lot of people don't realize, um, and this is so huge when it comes to even the process of filmmaking is, um, we always talk about how great the picture has to look, but it has to sound really well. And a lot of people don't ever stop and think about it. now. If we're talking about horror films, I mean. It's like in those jump moments, you don't realize it, but they use a specific sound to, to scare you, you know, like the slap on the window, if that's what they do. And it's so fascinating. When I did my first film, we just, we assembled it together and there was no sound. And I looked at it and I was like, this is pretty good. I like it. And I sent it to my cousin who loves horror films. And he's like, you have a great movie, even if you did nothing else. So then we did the sound design. Little things like every moment had to have a beat, like the axe had its own sound. So every time we saw it, we used like whispering and we would do whispering on this side of it. And then it would be over here behind you. And then all of a sudden it'd be over here. And it just felt like it was around you. And just being able to do that enhanced the movie. And I think- Puts you right in yeah, that spot. That's so crazy. And look at who we're doing a podcast. It's all sound. Yeah. Like that's so amazing. So sound is more tantamount than people realize. There's a rumor, I have no idea if I could ever verify it, that when George Lucas saw the first cut of Star Wars, it was without effects and without John Williams' score, yeah. and he almost shelved it. Where he, I, it I believe he so, said, we've made a huge mistake. Yeah, where he's like, this is so <laughs> not anything anyone's going to pay $2 to see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you go and you sound design it, and you oh, and you put the music to it, and yeah, it's amazing. 
Yeah. yeah. Speaking that, of which, I have sitting next to me and across from you a voiceover guy. I don't know if you've noticed, Mr. Craig, right here. Hello there. Craig, give, give him your best because you you got movies coming out. Yeah. I believe you're going to need some trailers for those movies. That's right. Have you considered the essential voiceover man for a film trailer? No, but I know that he's sitting right across from me, so that's uh, pretty exciting. Give him, a, give him an inner world, Craig. Your best inner world. In a world. There it is. <sighs> Look at that. Gives you chills, doesn't we it? We just got five more retweets right now. See? I love it. That's it. So I'm just saying, you know, thanks for the interview, but yeah. this is your man for that. Yep. Make it happen. Get yes, on sir. It. Recommend it to friends <laughs> and neighbors. No, of course. Like, fantastic. Are you kidding? I've known Craig forever. I've known him longer than forever. Oh, my God. You want to fight? a day. No. <laughs> you and you guys went to high school together. We all went to college together. Junior high. You well, middle school, have, I guess, is what it was called. You both have been drinking. That fight's going to be very entertaining. <laughs> I think it'll well, be over fast. One of his dogs will show up around the corner, and that'll oh, be it for me. Those little toys that we have like, yeah, right around the yard. Be just, yeah, we're in a dog cool. park here, here in Atwater Village. There are five of them at the moment? Well, we're dogs. Yeah, we have yeah. we have three dogs. Well, no, we have, there's four. Okay. Yeah, There's at any time we have, like, six. <laughs> We're very, very, it's like hey, a zoo here. Once you have four or six, is no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're like kids. Right. People think that about kids, yeah. yeah <laughs> so let's do more. So, no, I've, I've got a friend that had a baby about a year or two ago. Yeah. And all of her posts on social media about, I don't know why everybody says this is so hard. This is such a great, well, it, she just announced last month that she's pregnant with twins. Oh. So now we'll see, you How, know, yeah. put money where her... I'm a tw- now mouth is. I'm a twin, so I can attend to that. <laughs> yeah. I have a twin you, sister, you, so. Oh, yeah? mm-hmm. When the baby's outnumbered, are you the you're evil in trouble. Twin or are you the good twin? Who has the goatee in the family? Well, I have a twin a, sister. Yeah. Well, that doesn't matter. Yeah, so she has well, <laughs> I don't judge. Um, she calls herself the evil twin. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. Who was born first? She was. She's five minutes older. She does not let me forget that. Yeah, I was going to say, she, I know they always lord that over yeah. whoever the older twin well, is. Well, I'm the older but there's only, there's only the two of us, so. It's always interesting because, like, even though she's five minutes older, we're the same age. So it's all—it's always interesting to see people have older or younger brothers because I've only had her. I've never not ever had to share my birthday, which is so fascinating. Most of my family, we were all born in October. So even though we're on different days, after my mom had four kids, it became just the October birthday. Just you all. Oh, bam, bam, bam. Yeah, you all just get one cake and, you know. Yeah. The, jo- the joke that my mom has used for years was that January was a cold month and my dad was too cheap to pay for heat. So in October, <laughs> we end up with... Us. There you go. That was how I like it that. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Area, but yeah, no, my sister on February eighteenth. I'm I'm trying to figure out what happened nine months before that. I think it's Mother's. No, what is like nine months from February? Fourth of July. I don't know how to. I don't know. God, we're drinking and we have to do math. Craig, handle the math. I know. Uh, it's actually more of a May thing. Yeah, Mother's, <laughs> mother's Day. Mother's Day. Oh, there you go. Day. I'm a Mother's Day baby. Yeah. Well, now we know we've solved another thing. Yeah. See, we should get drunk and solve all the world's problems. That's usually right here in the how, Santa Maria bar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he may have changed the name of the bar now. Oh, no, I think it's Santa Maria bar. It, yes, it, that's what it says. Yeah, I know. It has a nice Latino flavor to it, given the Latino. You should always have a bar in the back of your house. Man, this is cool. You never know you have to entertain guests or do a podcast. And who cares if your house is clean? We're hanging out in the backyard. I, I was cleaning my house. Here we are. Oh, well, I clean the house anyways. Well, we thank you for that. That's yeah, right. no problem. Saturday morning chores. Yeah, that was the one we had Paul Majors here do the same thing. He's like, oh, I got to rake up the leaves. <laughs> yeah. I got to do this and that. I'm like, why? We, yeah, no yeah, one's going to we see We were it. so high up in Beverly Hills anyway. <laughs> I know. Nobody's, nobody's this coming up here yeah. but us. This the is an MTV Cribs. Just money. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast. Well, he but... said, and in the podcast, he's pointing out, oh, there's where Mila Jovovich lives is over there. I saw it. I heard that, yeah. And, and it just made me laugh that I'm like, okay, well, here's our little tour of the Star's Homes here on the yeah. podcast. Yeah. So, and no one can see it. Yeah, here's a tour of Atwater Village. I used to live just up the road in Glendale. Oh, I love it over so there. So I was a stone's throw over there. Yeah I, yeah, I miss Glendale a lot. And I actually, the reason I found and loved that apartment was it had the most important thing you can have in a Glendale apartment, parking. Oh, any apartment. I had a life. garage. Yeah. That was how good it was. I'm like, I didn't even care that my bathroom was old and the door, in order to use the toilet and close the door, you really couldn't do both. Yeah. Didn't care, because I had a parking We must have lived in the same apartment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, parking in this city is... Asinine. People don't understand that. I, the only place where it's ever been worse to me is San Diego, where they have parking, but they design the spaces so that not even a smart car can fit into them. Crazy. I don't know it? quite how. When they paint the lines, they just let's just short sheet the bed yeah. about another two feet. We could fit no seven more cars know. if we just do half the size. Yeah, but then yeah. nobody can park, so they end up taking two or three parking spaces for their one yeah. car. And yeah, it's so funny. I have a lot of friends that like. It's an interesting concept in LA about like living in Hollywood and then in the Valley, and like I have a lot of friends that live in Santa Monica, and they're like. Where do you live? And I was like, Atwater Village. Ugh. 
Yeah, you might as well be in Arizona. You're not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So far. Yeah, imagine living again in I the Inland Empire. I don't go east of 405. Yeah. yeah. Living in the Inland Empire, I was making yeah. the commute when I was working in Hollywood most of the time from Corona or out, yeah, out in that yeah. area. And I'm, you know, they're like, oh, what do you want to do this weekend? You want to hang out? I'm like, sure, you want to come over? They're like, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm like. <laughs> Absolutely not. And my favorite thing is, is like, newsflash, it's the same distance for me. <laughs> yeah. It's the same distance. I don't, yeah, but this is a west side. We're near the beach. Yeah, newsflash. You don't have parking. Yeah. I have parking. You can park on my street all day for free. Okay, I'm sorry. It's 10 degrees hotter. Yeah. I take the good with the bad, but there's no, I mean, everybody goes to the beach. So I said, the good thing is, is you won't hit any traffic because everybody's going your way. Right. Yeah. My, you know. If you'd no. like to send a helicopter, I'll yeah. be glad to yeah. go to your place. They're like, no, I'm fine. I, well, like, I like oh. this, you know, living in this area too, because if there is traffic, which there always is, you don't necessarily have to take a freeway to get into Hollywood. You know, there's yeah. four or five different routes you can go through. Go through the Griffith Park area, or yeah. Los Feliz District, and you just, get, yeah. and not even mess with some of the monstrous freeway And I have a safe things. neighborhood, and it's beautiful here, and everybody's nice. Well, I know all my neighbors, so I, it's, I don't know. And then, like, during the summer, you can't get there. To the beach anyways, and there's no parking, and there's so many people. It's so crowded. I mean, yeah, it's cooler, but we have this cool backyard bar. So Exactly. Yeah, you know, so if I you've got a beach. bar and the alcohol. You know, if you want to get wet, I'll turn the hose on. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'll add some salt. Yeah. What, what the heck? Craig will have to put on a bikini, though, in Whoa. order to really complete the beach experience. Pull your, you know, pull the waistband of your pants out a little bit. I'll throw some <laughs> sand in there. You'll get the full experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> This will come as a surprise to none of our regular listeners, or our irregular listeners, we try not to judge, but we still do not have an official sponsor for the podcast. However, if you'd like to send some of your hard-earned shekels our way, one way to support the show would be to buy one of my self-published books. Head on over to my digital bookmobile at lulu.com slash marusik, that's lulu.com slash m-a-r-o-u-s-e-k, or if you need an easy way to remember it, M Arouse K. That's right, M Arouse K. Choose from one of my four completed works. There's the OJ Chronicles, which offers you more than you could ever possibly want to know about the trial of the previous century. A Year in the Life covers my experience as a Peace Corps volunteer in Kazakhstan. Getting Close to Home is a murder mystery set in my hometown of Pomona, California. And Proud Peacocks is a collection of essays about Hollywood. So help a ginger out, go to lulu.com slash M-A-R-O-U-S-E-K, buy a book, buy an e-book, and support this podcast, which we now go back to, wait for it, now. Wait, and now we're back to the podcast. There was not a, a uh, problem with the technology, of course not, right, Greg? Never. We never, never have problems We like just that. decided yeah. to break for a sponsor, even though we don't have sponsors. But, we really just uh, wanted to get more alcohol. Yeah, really, I, my honest, bottle was honestly. empty and his glass was running low, so we needed to top off, so we right? willed the computer to freeze. Yes. We believe those problems are over now. Yeah, That's Craig, right. the one who is not drinking, is operating the technology, and yet the technology has failed us. So, Craig, if it happens again, you got to start drinking. Forget <laughs> it, man. I'm, I'm moving I mean, to, I'm clearly to the other team. sobriety is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it's really funny because I love I love the concept of a podcast because when people ask me which is what I do with you I was like can we have a drink because I feel like it's we're just two friends talking that's what it should be and having over be a drink more yeah you know I was telling him I always have him introduce me as the genial host as something yeah, I, I kind that. of chose at the beginning yeah and the like reason that. is that even though I'm a huge fan of podcasts I listen to a ton of them the ones that tend to make me tune out are the ones where they're like tell me your most painful moment. You know, tell me, you know, oh, you were a drug addict and you, you know, were yeah. raped as a child, whatever else. And I'm not saying those aren't interesting and that there aren't moments to it. Yeah. But I just want to sit and listen to relax and, you know, yeah. get some insight and, you know, hear some well, creative people talk. I, yeah. don't need, you know, I don't need to make you weep. You know, and well, if I, mean, I do make you, you weep, can, sorry. Yeah, you can actually, like, <laughs> just from talking to people here, you, like, you hear the emotional roller coaster of the things we went through. Like, sure. I'm not even going to lie. When I decided to get into film, for years, my mother was not very supportive of my film decision and I, I couldn't understand why and it didn't dawn on me till about five years in that when I was growing up my mother worked my mother's a banker my mother was a very hard worker she worked as many jobs as she could to make sure we had food on the table and I had both my parents but my mother was just that mother she worked with Brian Grazier's mother Brian oh. Grazier's a famous producer yeah. and his mother was a banker and they would work together out in Riverside right and she heard horror stories of all the shit that Brian Grazer went through trying to get... Of course, I don't think about this as a kid. It didn't right. dawn on me until five years later that no wonder my mother didn't want me to go into the industry. She was just like, no, I heard so many stories. So I had to like... 
when I got into the industry, it wasn't I had to prove it to myself or anybody. I had to prove it to my mother that I could do this industry. You talk about expectations. Yeah. And God love my mother. She never asked me. She she wanted me to be practical. And I was like, no, I've been practical for up until I was 30. Fuck that. I tried it. Um, and I couldn't. I remember. I'm not even talking. I remember the day. There was a day that I walked up to my to the door of like the building I was working in at the age of 30. And I had to literally, I couldn't open the door. I was like, I cannot go back in this building. And I called my father and I was like, you need to convince me to go back in this store and into this building. And he goes, well, don't you have to get your car keys? And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. But like, I had to go back in, right? We interrupt this podcast one more time, not because there was another technical glitch or because the landscaping crew stopped by and had their leaf blowers going or because we were too drunk to speak and passed out. Certainly none of those reasons or maybe one of those reasons or maybe a couple of those reasons. Anyway, we're done interrupting this podcast. We now go back to the podcast. Look, just don't ask. Just enjoy the show. People have to find there's humor in all the things. Yeah. There's humor everywhere. But... I and I'm not trying to make light of stuff, but like sometimes you just have to be like that helps you heal. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, and again, Craig has known me for decades, and he knows my humor comes from the darkest of places. That's you true. Know, and but he, almost humor well, does. We still love you, Kevin. We, I know. We still ask, put up ask with Ask every comedian you've ever worked with. And most of them oh. are insecure, oh, yeah. Yeah. afraid, and terrified. But that's humor. Yeah. Because they, you know, it's I get this all the time. People are like, oh, you're so funny. I said, no, it's just because I'm brave enough to say the shit that you're already thinking. And it's right? initially, it's a coping mechanism yeah. that just ends up being, you know. You know, you know, I to you know why I became funny because I got beat up a lot as a kid, and yeah. I said, "Wait a minute, you won't punch me if I make you laugh." Yeah, if you, right? yeah, if you can true. make the yeah. bullies laugh, they back yeah. off. So people and are like, oh, "All right, you're cool." Even. Yeah, I'm like, "You're still a dick." Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> but thanks when I hit it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. but it's true, and that, and and that's the thing. It's like watch every comedian. Like the ones that are the best are the ones that really go, "Oh shit, he just went there." You were already thinking it. We yeah. really yeah. were. Yeah. But comedy is really looking but at something. But some people like, have the whatever guts or lack of yeah. taste to say it out loud and then roll and it's with about, the punches. Yeah, and it's about delivery, it's, too. Yeah. But that's what's so fascinating about comedy. It's just like, holy shit, I looked at I I always thought about that. I didn't really look at it, but thank you for making me laugh. You know, it's like thinking something serious and making us laugh at it because yeah. we need that. There's yeah, comedy and, in everything. You know, and, well, and, and the you, legends are always yeah. the most tormented ones. It's true. I mean, yeah. God bless, you know, Robin Williams. Yeah. Robin well, Williams had his own demons to fight. Sam Kinison. Yeah. Sam Kinison. It was really is one, true. You know, I mean, you yeah. Know, one wouldn't have thought, given all of the drug comments he made over the years, that George Carlin would, before he died, check himself into rehab yeah. and get treated for that. That's why genius is next to insanity. I mean, yeah. it really is. It's like you have to look at the world in such a weird way. Well, and I've encountered people just in my, you know, I, I spent about five, six years pushing Hollywood full time before I called it. Can y'all talk about the dreams and whatever else? Yeah. And my mom was also supportive. But even like when it came to the podcast, she's like, "Oh, you're doing a podcast, okay?" And she was oh. a little trepidation. I'm like, "Well, Craig's working with me." She's like, "Oh, then it's fine." Yeah. She loves Craig oh, that, that, more yes. than me, which is thank just, you, mom. I've accepted that about my mom, and she loves me dearly, but she loves Craig more, and yeah. that's fine, and that's okay. And she loves Craig's kids. <laughs> I don't have kids, so she loves that Craig has kids. And oh, it just, look at that. It just yeah, got really yeah. awkward in yeah. here. I'm not at all bitter, Craig. But Craig's birthday's in October, so <laughs> I know about that one. Kevin's drinking. He's getting really truthful over getting here. A little punchy. I know. We just got serious. <laughs> yeah, have have some grumpy juice. <laughs> but I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. But, but it's good that you. It's great that you, you can have some of you guys to work on together. Which we were just saying before we had all these technical issues. No is, technical issues. I don't know what you're talking about. <clears throat> yeah. No well, this one is good. Oh my god, I love it. Wine. Sometimes you had to have a wine break. <laughs> this wine this break. thing's no longer sponsored by Apple today. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Next week we are sponsored by Dell. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just I, I just downloaded like Windows 10. And it, don't. Don't. I wish you would have told me that. Six, I wish someone more. would have told me. I was one of those. I, I, yeah. I, I, up until Windows 10, I consider myself one of those first gen users yeah. of everything. We're if, something, out, right? <laughs> yeah. if something was there, I was the first person on it. Yeah. And then Windows 10, it was just as I, we were starting to do production we on the podcast. This, yep. And it crashed with my audio driver. It crashed with my video driver. It crashed with pretty much everything my computer had. Yeah, I turned my computer on and just laughs at me now. Yeah. So, and it's, <laughs> you have Windows 10. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks. I'm, I'm back on Windows 7 and I'm okay with that you're still looking <laughs> it's stable stay there yep. yeah that's Jeez. what i'm gonna be for a while no more first gen users for me that's i will crazy. wait i know i will absolutely wait i think there's a waiting list for the support group for the windows 10 it's <sighs> out of control i mean my computer just Problems. literally just freezes i have to literally restart it every time i bring it up mm. i open it it's like restart and then halfway through the, like i'll be like two hours i'm like restart it's just like it's it's so weird 
It was with Windows 10. It does its own updates in the background and everything else. And there's supposedly yeah. no way to really turn those off without going deep, deep, deep into the guts. It updated on its own. I was yeah. like, what? And will restart you're... while you're in the middle of a thing. That yeah. was one of the even when I was getting it to work. I'd be in the middle of a thing and just everything would shut down and restart and say, you're Windows like, is now updating. I'm like, well, great. Thanks yeah. for the warning. You know, Didn't for that. get to save that file I yeah. was working on, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Finally got brave enough to write that memoir, but thanks you. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. And so you were asking before we started the podcast, is it always about writing? Clearly it isn't. You know, what? as we can focus on <laughs> yeah. what we want to. Well, I mean, we talk. are real people, real, yeah. real people, and I've experienced real things that affect all of my writing, so that's good. Well, and you were talking a little bit off mic accidentally or otherwise about sort of as you were leading yourself out of the Inland Empire and into the Hollywood, you know, shit twister for lack of a better term and and what causes you to do that. And as you said, it comes down to the frustration of what you're doing and knowing there's something else out there. You know, and that's, and that's, it's funny you should say that because I, and I, I I respect the fact that it's not for everybody and I will never ever think that like, because as I was leaving, a lot of people were just like, wait, you can follow your dreams. And they would be like, I can't do that. I have kids. I have a family. And I actually admire people who will, because my mother did the same thing, but I admire anybody who make that sacrifice for their children. But I told them as I left, I don't, you know, as long as you realize I'm following my dreams for me, I understand that you can't, and you're making the sacrifice for your children, but don't let your children, you know, let them follow their dreams because we always want a better life for the people in our lives. But like what I was just telling earlier about Craig, which I admire is because Craig does have a great job um, and he doesn't keep his kids from following their dreams because I know Aiden plays the piano and, and all that stuff and hockey don't forget hockey yeah but you know what I'm saying and it's like what's great is you're making a sacrifice for your kids to have a better life but you also are able to do something like this podcast on the weekends which really is probably more of a light than you realize oh yeah and I think that's so and that's why I love stuff like this it's like um when I meet a lot of new filmmakers literally every day I have a networking event for filmmakers and I meet them all the time and they're like I want to give up everything and follow my dream. And I was like, that's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. You still have to make money. Yeah. It does know? for some, yeah. a very, very select few. But I tell people, I go, you, I didn't, I quit my job and sat on my friend's couch for two years before I could ever figure it out. And I'm not saying, I'm not telling people to go down my road, but I'm telling people that like, it sometimes takes a sacrifice. That that's what no, the road looks like. Yeah. yeah. Be careful. Yeah. I mean, California it's roads, not, they got bumps in them. They got construction. <laughs> yeah. It takes a long <laughs> I mean, it took me five years to start in this industry. Five years because I, like I said, I hit what the writer strike and all that stuff. It took me five years before I could make a living. Five years, but I've been blessed enough to work on every project, and I met some people. So when I decided to make the breakout to like writing and directing, I had made nine years of contacts. Right. I tell people, I go, you're going to have to make money and work, but like, don't look at it as like, oh, I have to work. Like, be lucky of like. I have to work at Starbucks to make my money, but on the weekends I can, you know, that's part of the journey. And people don't realize that like having that journey is really what makes you better what you are. Yeah. And there's a reason the stereotype of every waiter in Hollywood is secretly a screenwriter. It's true. Or an actor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, when people tell me I'm an actor, oh, what what restaurant do you work at? Exactly. But it's true. You have to make, but the thing is, is like, that is technically part of the journey. And that's what I think. It's weird, and I have to remind myself of this sometimes when I get frustrated. Is like I love the journey. I, you know, this is an odd quote, and I say this a lot to people. That a friend one time told me that the best part of a roller coaster is waiting in line, and I thought about that, and I was like, "What does that mean?" And he goes, "Well, think about it. When you're on a roller coaster, it's over, but you have all this buildup and anticipation while you're waiting in line. Like, I can't wait to ride that roller coaster. I can't wait. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm excited. Look, all the people having fun. Well, not only is it the journey, it's the people you meet in line. Yeah, you know, and some of the experience you'll share there. Exactly. And so I, I equate that with like, I have to work a full time job. You know, I'm at a point in my career now where I, I'm lucky enough to have that. But I, there are days that I was like. I, I don't know if I'm going to have work for this month and I'm right. terrified and I have to call up people I haven't talked to in a while and, in and, and tell them that I need work. And da, da, da. but that is the journey. And that's me standing in line for that road coaster. And I think that's the funnest part. I do have to remind myself of that sometimes, no, Sure, you know, but, uh, and I do get frustrated, but that's when I have to step back and, and, and look at people and go, I'm still on a journey because I'm trying to reach other plateaus and everybody else's. And I think that's really what life is about as a writer and as a freelancer and everything. Yeah. You're going to find that with the voice as, as a voiceover actor and stuff. And you're going to find that with the podcast. But that's one thing that's so joyful about it is, is you're not the same person 
six months from now that you were when you first started this. Do you know what I'm saying? And vice versa. Well, as you said at the top of the podcast, you're going to surround yourself with people that you're going to learn from if you have half a brain. Yeah. You know, when you're sitting next to a director and they're doing what they're supposed to do well, you learn from that. You absorb that. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you feel in the industry about the concept of internships now being forced to be paid whatever else when i started back in the 90s yeah. and was an intern there was no salary involved in that yeah. now that doesn't mean i didn't feel it was a worthwhile experience i got more out of my internship than i probably did on my first 2 years working in the industry exactly because of the people i was around the information i was just absorbing through osmosis i got a lot from that i don't resent those that are trying to sue for their money and say hey get what you can in this world i have yeah. no problem with that but if you're accepting a job as an internship and you're bitching that you have to go and get coffee or, you know, whatever else, mop up the spill. Yeah. Yeah, but think of who you're around while you're getting them coffee. Yeah. You know, and think about and what... that as an experience that most people don't have that. Right. I have a, I have an intern who actually assists me, and um, he's probably getting more, I hope he's getting more out of just the people that I talk to than he would. And he tells me all the time, he goes, yeah, when people ask me what I'm doing, they're like, yeah, I'm assisting this director. And they're like, oh, my God, really? Yeah, but he's, he's talking to people all the time. Mm-hmm. We have to call this person and that person. And he's just like, some random Joe Schmo on the street who would call that person would never get through. But I'm like, here, take his cell phone number and call him because I need to talk to him. That's, I tell people, it's it's weird. And I, I use a lot of biblical things, but I tell people all the time, it's like, I can fish for you for a day, but I can, you know, you teach go. you how to fish. And that's what I'm telling him. It's just like, I'm not, I'm not going to get you on set. I'm going to teach you how to get those acting jobs because you want to be an actor. And that's more tantamount than anything I could ever teach you because you're going to meet people and learn the things that I'm already, I've ex- learned over yeah. the nine years. I wish I was able to intern when I first started. I didn't, I, I navigated my film industry by myself. Which is commendable. And I failed a lot. I just, <laughs> as you, as everybody you know does. Saying? I failed a lot. I mean, if I had started this when I was 20, I'd be so much further along. But starting at the age of 30 and failing as much as I did for the first five years probably taught me more than I ever... And I and like I said, I don't have anything against film film school at all. But when I teach people, I like, well, I'm going to film school. I'm like, that's cute. I didn't. I literally just walked off my job and figured it out, you know. Yeah. And I I've been back in a former life. I taught at a film school yeah. that shall remain nameless and the subject wow. of several lawsuits. Uh, but I teach at a film school now, just so you know. <laughs> there's a lot. I had I taught over 1,800 students in the six eight months that I was there, and okay. many of them are really talented and will go on to do really. Yeah. Great things. I would tell them, look, no when doubt. it comes time for the acceptance speeches, don't say thank you, Kevin. I'm like, I will accept thank you, redheaded asshole. Yeah. You know, that will be fun because there were moments that I, I as the teacher, tried to give them that sort of experience of, look, you you need this pressure. Yeah. You need to have these basic skills. You need to do this. Yeah. And they'd push back because that's what you do when you're young. And, you know, even the older students that I would have there would push back because that's what you do. That's what I would have done in the same situation. Exactly. But, yeah. You know, I, one of my favorite former students was this girl who I made her cry is how she tells the story. I believe she made herself cry, but that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Two sides, three sides of every story. Yeah, exactly. So, right. and, and so, so, but I mean, she screamed bloody murder at me in the class and whatever else. Six months after she's my student, she sends me a Facebook friend request. And this was someone who cussed me out in front of 50 other people. And I'm Ooh. like, so I replied back. I'm like, seriously? Yeah. And her response to me was, look, she said, I've been in this business now just a couple of months, but I'm, I've been in it long enough to know that the people who are going to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Even when it's uncomfortable, are the ones you need to keep around. So true. And she's like, so that's why I'm at <laughs> She's like, I need you to keep me grounded and keep me what's going on. I respected that. I'm like, that's awesome. That's yeah. one of the best compliments I've ever received from anybody Good I've for worked her. with. Yeah. Good for her. And one of the things I used to tell all of them is it's, you know, back when I was pursuing Hollywood full time, you know, 24 hours, seven days, one more than that, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't sleep much. Back in those days. Wait, what is sleep? I don't know. Are you kidding? I work 12 hours on set and I come home for another six hours and work on my own shit. Yep, exactly. And I said, I used to, there was a period of about five, six years. I worked on about 50 different television shows. Yeah. And I only interviewed twice. Yeah. And I said, and the reason was, I said, that's not me boosting my own ego, was that people were like, I don't know who that red haired guy was, but he knew it's crap. Let's get him on our show. I'm like, if you can get that reputation in this business, they will keep calling you. You don't need to keep applying. You don't yeah. need to keep, you know, doing interviews and the uncomfortableness of that. You build up. It's ne- they call it networking now. Back then, it wasn't didn't even have a name. It was yeah. just get a reputation, surround yourself with good people. Uh, that's the best advice. I used to tell you know, when I, I teach at Columbia College sometimes when I teach scripturizing. And one day I was talking and I looked up and I said, "You're going to find two people in this industry. There's people that talk and there's people that do. And you'll always find the people that talk because they want to remind you of what they do." 
well, while you're talking, I'm doing. I'm gonna. Sh- I'm not only gonna talk. I'm not gonna talk about. It. I'm just gonna show you what I can do. So I tell people, I go, don't talk, do, and let the doing talk for you. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. So because that's people, true in any industry, and it's so yeah. bizarre because <laughs> and it it's so fascinating because people are like, how do you start a movie? Just do it. Like I and that's the best. And it's weird. <laughs> people go, that's the shittiest advice. No, it's really no. the best advice. Yeah. <laughs> fail. I'd rather you fail in your first movie and at least try than not even try at all. And that's the weirdest thing because. We don't ever want to start something we know we're going to fail. But I'm telling you right now, the second you start making a movie, people are going to go, what are you doing? I'm making a movie. Oh, can I help? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's so weird. It's like, but the, it's so, it's so fascinating that once you just start, people will jump on with you. But once you start saying, I want to make a movie. Okay. Well, let me know when you start doing that. You know, yeah. just do it. Just do it. And then people, the second that they see you start doing it, I think that's why with me, it was like when I was script supervising, people were just like, I'll just, I didn't care. I was just, I just wanted to work and meet people. So we were like, I like your energy. You're just going to do it. I was like, yeah, yeah, I have to do it because I have to pay rent. Like I don't have a choice. Yep. But, um, and then it just became sort of like a, like a thing. Like I was just like, I'm just doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. And now you look at my and people like, what the fuck you did? I was like, I did. Yeah. yeah. Now I can afford to like not do it. I, but <laughs> And that's what I tell people, like, well, how do I make a movie? Just make it. Yeah. Research it. Talk to people. Go to events and 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 find your team, the people that you want to help you make it, and do it. And you will be surprised the doors that will open for you. Because people don't want to invest a million dollars in people who don't talk. They want to invest a million dollars in people that are going to prove to you that they can do it. You have to do. One of my best bosses in, in my time in Hollywood was this guy named Hugh Del Reno. He's still out there somewhere. Hi, Hugh. Hi, Hugh. Hi, Hugh. Uh, his whole thing, and when he hired me, it was something that he had said, and he'd said it to several other people that we worked with over the years. But he said, I don't want to hear about you. Mm-hmm. He's like, if I hear that you screwed up, it's because you screwed up. If I hear all these glowing things about you, it means you spent too much time kissing ass. He's like, the best employees are the ones that just get it done, and yeah. I don't have to hear about it, and we move on with our day. <laughs> That's why I believe in internship. You know, uh, this industry was built on people who were willing, and this is, we, I find this a lot now because we're in the digital age, but I was trained from a guy who worked in film and I started in film as a supervisor for about the first two years I was working on film. And I think that's one of the, I'm so blessed to have had that opportunity because nowadays people buy a camera, like I'm a DP. Right. You know, I wrote a script, I'm a director. But I've got they a computer, I can edit. Yeah. And the thing is, is like. We I film came at a time where it was so expensive to buy film and then it was expensive to process it. Yeah. yeah. And so that's where we get that concept of like rehearsing and all that stuff, which we don't do anymore. But it was like you started off as like a camera PA and then you were like the loader and then you did like second AC where you're slating and you worked your way up. That's why DPs were always in their 40s and 50s and directors the same way, you know, Um, and that's why I tell people I go. And I have to remind myself of this too, is that at the age of 40, I'm, I'm probably at the right place I need to be as a director because I have nine years of experience of, ma- of filmmaking before I even got into directing. It wasn't like I walked on a set one day and said, I'm a director, I can yell action. I really, I really wanted to prove to people that like, look, you're investing in somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. I'm huge on internship. Yeah. I'm not saying that people shouldn't get paid for it. I guess that's a debate we can talk about another time. But the truth is, is like- but there is experience to be gained either way. With yeah, without the and revenue. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with people asking, like, I need to, I haven't, I need to have a weekend job and I have to intern. Like, what's wrong? I don't understand why nowadays we can't prove ourselves. Like, I think it, it makes us better people. Okay. Or even the concept of, not to use the, invoke the name of Donald Trump, but his show, <laughs> The Apprentice. The yeah. concept of having apprentices in this business is so rare. Yeah. Where it used to be so common. Yeah. You know, James Taylor was signed by the Beatles. That was the first yeah. artist they signed when they formed their own record label is they wanted to take this kid. Back then he was a kid under his under their wing. Yeah. And, you know, show him this industry and show him how to succeed at it because he was what. failing in the U.S. for some reason. So they brought him over to the U.K. Yeah. and made a go of it. Now he's one of the biggest names in music because they took the time to work with him. Why? why Alanis Morissette, same thing, trained by Madonna. Yeah. You know, brought her under her She's record amazing. label and marketed her. And where would Alanis Morissette be without her? You know what's interesting? You should say that. I worked at the warehouse. When I was a kid, the same time Alanis Morissette and um, oh, she came out with somebody else, at the same time. Um, Hootie and the Blowfish. So she and Hootie and the Blowfish came out at the same time, and all I remember is that every person that came in the store bought one of their albums, either Alanis or Hootie or both, mm-hmm. right? And they were huge. And I remember at the same time, Hootie and the Blowfish made another album, and Jagged Little Pill was still selling. It was like Jagged Little Pill or Hootie's second album, right? 
I mean, there's something to be said there's about that. There's some longevity to it. There, I mean, and I said it as someone who isn't a huge Alanis fan, but I respect that she was able yeah. to do what she did and how she was able to go about doing it. And if you haven't seen her new version of Ironic that she did on Late Late Show last week. No, I haven't. She modernized the lyrics. Good for her. It's awesome. I don't, think I don't think there's anything wrong with proving yourself. In an industry where people are willing to do whatever they can to move ahead, there is nothing. I say there's absolutely nothing wrong. And I tell this not just to my intern who assists me, who's amazing, but, and my manager tells me this all the time, but I, like I said, I host a networking event and I tell people, I said, just do what you can. I'm not saying do shitty stuff. Like, you know, like you have to be, realize it. Stay but out of porn is what you're saying. You, basically, yeah. <laughs> but there's a point where you have to just stop and realize that you have to work hard. Like you have to prove to people because, you know, people get so high up that they, you know, they just, but if you want people to invest in you, you have to be able to prove to them that they're, you're worth investing for. And I think people in this day and age, people forget that it's okay. I mean, we live in a digital age where you can sit at home. Yeah. And, you know, but like, like I think equated to YouTube people. I mean, YouTube is a platform, but people sit at home with with a microphone and they sing and they, they show people what they can do. So bigger people will sign them. It's the same. There's nothing wrong with proving who yeah, you are. Everybody has to start somewhere. Yeah. You know, there's a point at which someone is, you know, who is great at something sucked at it. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody picks up a guitar and, you know, starts playing like Paul McCartney. Nobody picks up, you know, a film and start, you know, starts editing it just from, you know, of course, like Spielberg or whatever else. You know, Spielberg's first big thing was Columbo back in the 60s was his first screen credit. And so you look at some of those early things and see how they got started and where they evolved from there. And that to me is always kind of a cool thing to see in the process of, of yeah. a career of a whatever. And it's, you know, as you've said, you know, it's the people that do things. Versus the people that talk about them. I've been doing this podcast for a couple months now. Been communicating back and forth with a lot of different creative types in and out of the industry. Yeah. And the biggest piece of advice, the most common phrase I hear from people is, if you want to be a writer, then write. Yeah. You know, if you want to be a director, then put together a project yeah. and direct it. You know, it's, it's up to, you know, you to make that happen. And you can talk about it as much as you want and dream about it as much as you want. But yeah. you got to actually start taking some sort of action. People are more willing to forgive you if it's crappy, if, if you did it. Because mm -hmm. they're like, okay, well, you did it. You show me you can do it. Now let's see what you can do a second time around if right. I if I guide you and stuff. And it's so interesting. It's like, and that's why I have such a weird thing about film school, which is, and I'm not unopposed to it. I, tell, I think some people do need that sort of like guidance. But I tell people, I said. I've got a broadcast communications degree. I spent four years of exactly. my life wasted doing that. <laughs> but I've been blessed enough to be in a position where I could just watch other people and learn. And I and I already knew how to scripturize and I was good at it. Um, because I I knew what the alternate was is I didn't want to work in an office anymore. No offense to people that do. I, like I said, um, we need You're those all people. Scum. You're no, all we need scum. them. You stop. <laughs> We need them, and, and I think that's important. My internship was at CNBC when Tom Snyder had a show on there. Oh, wow, nice. And he was one of the guys that I kind of learned from, and if I'm trying to pattern sort of my style after anybody, it's partly after him, which it, I'm not doing him enough credit. Sorry, Tom, but uh, it is one yeah. of those things where it's like he would sit down with somebody and just say, you know, so tell me what's interesting in your life. You know, it wasn't, yeah. you know, tell me, you know, yeah, if you're doing a film or a book or whatever, you talk about that. But it's, you know, what's going on in your world and why why should people care about you as a person? What makes you, Yeah, you I know, think the story matter. for writers is what got the book there. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, okay, you wrote a book, tell me about your book. I can read the book and read the book, you know. Yeah. But like, yeah, I think for writers and other filmmakers, it's like, what got you there? One of People my favorite on short story writers, you being a fan of horror, you might know the name Harlan Ellison. Uh -huh. And one of the things I love about his short stories, if you buy his books, he does introductions for each of his stories. And some of his introductions will be twice as long as the story themselves. Exactly, yeah. As he's talking about, you know, here's how this unfolds and here's what made me think of this title name or whatever else. And to me, that is really kind of a cool in, insight to see. So, yeah, as we're kind of winding things up here, it's been kind of cool to hear how you sort of came to discover your talents and, you know, give them a chance. But as, as we're fawning over you just, as, you know, these last couple of minutes, but again, just, you know, thank you for taking the time. As, as, you know, it's cool to hear somebody who's passionate about what they're doing, you know, speak intelligently about it. nothing but passion. And that's what, you know, that, yeah. that shows. That literally you know? is what drives it. Because sometimes I'm like, what... Because there's days that I'm like, I just don't want to get out of bed today. And I do. And I'm always trying to, like, what gets me out of the bed? It's like, literally, like, if today I don't make a difference in what I'm doing, I, I failed. It's like, you know. If you have anything else you need to plug or promote or whatever down the road, let us know. We'll definitely throw it out on the podcast or on the website. Yeah, or the everything's on my, on my else, website, so. bearclawfilms.com. It's all there. I always update it every day. Well, check them out, folks. I'm going to be checking out his stuff as it comes out. Your my, my name is Eve. Is that? The you can call me Eve. Is, call me yeah, Eve. and then I'm also um, attached to a project called Cradle Lake, which is a thriller. There's always something. I got stuff going. So 
Every day I got two movies in post-production. I'm, I'm just having a good time. Well, check them out, folks. Michael Colomb. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. All right, you may now blow. This has been the Get Off My Lawn podcast, brought to you by Nobody Yet. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Get Off My Lawn Pod. Check out our SoundCloud at Get Off My Lawn Podcast or subscribe to us on iTunes for the latest episodes. Questions or comments? To suggest a guest or to offer us fat wads of cash in exchange for promotional consideration, our email address is getoffmylawnpod at gmail.com. The theme was composed and performed by Brian Weideman. Check out his music at www.worldbride.com. That's W-O-R-L-D-B-R-I.com. The logo was designed by Julie Contreras at Urban Bird Design. Go to urbanbirddesign.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend.